Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of Dr. Music. I'm Matthew Marullo. Thank you so much for joining me again. If I had to name one of the most famous American composers ever, well, one of them would be Aaron Copland. But right after him would be Samuel Barber, who lived from 1910 to 1981. He died at the age of 70 of cancer. But he has written some incredibly great music. Not a lot of it is known to the general public, like Copland's music. But there is one piece that is so famous that it's been featured in three movies. That is the second movement from his string quartet, which he wrote in 1936. And it stands on its own. It's called Adagio for Strings. A lot of times the second movement of large works, for instance, concertos or string quartets or symphonies, can be slow movements. And that's why it's called Adagio for Strings. The three films featuring Adagio for Strings are The Elephant Man, directed by David Lynch, who also directed Eraserhead, one of my favorite films, a very peculiar film, but a great film. Platoon, in 1986, directed by Oliver Stone, and another film called Lorenzo's Oil. I think it was used most effectively in the Vietnam War saga, Platoon. Now, an adagio is usually a slow movement, but in terms of mood, it could be many things. It could be melancholy. It could be very lyrical and beautiful. It could be doleful. It could be tragic. And I think when you listen to the Adagio for Strings, it's very lyrical and very beautiful, but it definitely has a melancholy, even tragic flavor to it. And when I listen to the Adagio, I definitely, among other things, think about loss. I think there's some sentimentality and nostalgia in the music, but if it is sentimental or nostalgic, it's occurring because something unfortunate happened, some kind of loss. That's the feeling that I get from it. And if you think about all three films that use the piece, all three films definitely deal with some kind of loss. Elephant Man is about a true story about John Merrick, who's disfigured and is struggling with a life where he wants to be accepted, but the general public and the culture will not accept him, but he wants to be viewed as a normal human being with emotions, just like everybody else. And Platoon is certainly about loss. It's about the Vietnam War. And Lorenzo's Oil is about a five-year-old who has a nerve disease. So these are all stories that easily lend themselves to the type of music that Barbara wrote in the Adagio. I'd like to dig into the music like I usually do. I can't go over the whole piece because that would be a very, very long podcast. But what I'd like to do is just talk about what it is that makes this music so special, so unique, so magical. And we're going to see that the piece is deceptively simple. What I mean by that is that the melody itself is not very complicated. It's basically stepwise. In other words, a scale going either up or down, or fragments of scales. And that just goes to show you something that many other composers have proved, like Mozart, and that is, if you want to produce a powerful effect, the means at which you produce that effect do not have to be so complicated. It could be a very simple method. And that's not just a statement about the melodic material. It could also be a very simple rhythm, as it is in this adagio. In terms of rhythm, it's just really slow quarter notes over and over again. But also what we're going to see is that the mood that he produces is timeless. And what I mean by that is that you can't tap your foot in terms of a meter. You can't just sit there and go one, two, three, four, because he obscures the meter. And he does that precisely because the focal point of this music is the mood that he establishes. He wants you to feel something. He's not interested in meter in the traditional sense. 
so that you're sitting there saying, oh, okay, this is in 4-4 time or 3-4 time or whatever. And this is a very common procedure for late 19th century and 20th century composers to do to obscure the meter because the focus is going to be on a mood or an emotion or an atmosphere, as in the impressionistic composers like Debussy. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, let's listen to at least the first minute or so. This is Leonard Bernstein conducting the New York Philharmonic of Barber's Adagio for Strings. pulls on your heartstrings, doesn't it? I think you have to be kind of in the right mood to listen to a piece like that. If you just came from a, a loud, fun party, probably not the kind of music that you're going to listen to, but it is beautiful. Now, I'm sure you heard in that excerpt, there are various points of articulation that we can call cadences. A cadence, as we've discussed in prior episodes, You could consider it like a comma or a semicolon, or if, if it really feels like an ending, a period. And actually, the word period in music refers to a formal structure consisting of phrases. 
periodic structure in music usually consists of an antecedent phrase, which is the question phrase, usually followed by the consequent or the answer phrase. And at the very end of a period of music, there's usually a final cadence of some sort that we usually call an authentic cadence. An authentic cadence is simply a cadence on the one chord, Roman numeral one, meaning the tonic chord or the home key. Now, the key of this particular piece, the adagio, is C major. Now, if you know anything about key signatures, C major has no sharps or no flats in the key signature. But if you have no sharps or no flats in the key signature, it could also be A minor. And this is the key, no pun intended. Is Barber in the key of C major, which is happy major is happy, or in the darker key, of A minor. And he kind of flirts with both of those key centers. Because if you're writing a piece about some kind of loss, there's always going to be hope. But what is the true feeling of this piece? Is it majorish or minorish? Barber's going to teach us that lesson later in the piece. Before I actually talk about how Barber uses cadences, either the major cadence or the minor cadence, let's talk about the progression that he uses in the very beginning of the piece. Now, you might remember that the piece starts out with a long held out note followed by a chord like this. Now, remember I said that C major and A minor have the same key signature, no sharps, no flats, which means they're relatives. And that also means that one particular chord can be analyzed in both keys at the same time. It could be interpreted in both keys. So that chord that I just played could be in C major, it could go like this. But actually, the chord is not interpreted by Barber in C major, it's interpreted in A minor because it goes to this chord. that chord that I just played, it's an E major chord, is the dominant in the key of A minor. And you might expect the dominant to go to the one chord, in other words, an A minor chord, but it doesn't. It actually goes to what's called a deceptive progression. It goes to something called the sixth chord instead. But my point is that when he plays that first chord, when you hear that, it could be C major. You're not sure yet, because you haven't heard the piece yet. could be C major, but he indicates a minor, and yet he doesn't resolve the dominant chord. And that's an important theme with this piece and many pieces in the 19th and 20th century, delayed resolution, and particularly in this piece, because in this particular music, we definitely have a sense of loss. And the question is, this dominant chord, which represents conflict, an unresolved conflict, will the conflict be resolved? Or is there no hope? That's what we have to find out. Now, remember, I was talking about meter before, in other words, the time signature, and I was saying that Barber is purposely blurring this sense of a meter so that you really can't count the beats. And that's very true right in the very beginning. Let me just play the melody for you. Now, do you hear how the notes are in groups of three? One, two, three, one, two, three. Da, 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 da. 
that gives the impression that the beat is occurring on the first of each of those groupings. One, two, three, one, two, three. But actually, that is not what's happening. The first note of each of those three-note groupings are sometimes happening off the beat, sometimes on the beat. So you really have no sense of where the true beat is. This piece is in 4-4 four, four time. One and two and three and four and... But we're hearing groups of three. One, two, three, one, two, three. And in prior podcasts, I've talked about what that rhythmic trick is. Do you remember what it is? If you do, good for you. It's called hemiola. That means giving the impression of a triple meter when it's really a duple meter, three over two. And it works really well here because, again, Barber is trying to create an atmosphere. He's not as concerned about melody because the melody is very, very simple. He's concerned primarily with the mood or the atmosphere that he's creating with this very simple melody. Now, he does have some kind of a pause or a cadence in this very first phrase. Let me just play the first phrase for you. Now, that very last chord that I just played, the end of the first phrase, that is the dominant of C major, happy C major. Maybe there's hope. Let's see what happens after that. Now, I'm going to play the last chord that I just played and then the following phrase. the last chord of that second phrase, it was the dominant of dark A minor. So here's the conflict in the piece. The conflict is, first of all, will the conflict be resolved? And second of all, how much hope is there? Is there sunny hope of C major? Or do we just have to reconcile the fact that we had a loss and we just have to deal with it? And that loss, of course, is A minor. We just had the dominant of A minor. But we didn't have an A minor cadence yet. In other words, we didn't have the one chord of A minor. We also didn't have the one chord of C major yet. Well, let's listen to the next phrase, and I'm going to let Leonard Bernstein play this with his orchestra instead of me on the piano, and I'm going to play up to the next cadence. So I'm going to start from where we left off to the next cadence. So far, we just had half cadences. Half cadences are cadences on the dominant or on the five chord. They're unresolved. Okay, here it goes.
Ah, did you hear that last chord? Did you think that sounded major or minor? If you said major, you're right. That was happy C major. So we had kind of a period. And when I say a period, I mean the formal structure. We had two half cadences, and then that was followed by an authentic cadence in the key of C major. So I think this is Barbara's way of saying, despite the tragedy, despite the loss, there is hope. There is a ray of hope. There is some redeeming factor. There is something to think about that will help us understand that life is not over, in fact, that there is some light, even if it's far away. Now, this is really interesting. What's the next articulation? What's the next cadence right after this? Let's go back to the music and see what happens. And that brings us to the end of the first excerpt that I played at the very beginning of this episode. Now, that very last chord that you just heard was A minor, but it was not a cadence in A minor. It was actually still in C major, and what we had was what's called a deceptive cadence. That means we had the dominant of C major, happy C major, but instead of the dominant going back to C, it goes to A, and A minor is one of the chords that's in C major. To be exact, A minor is the sixth degree of the C major scale. It's the sixth note of the scale. So even though he lands on A minor there, it's not a cadence in A minor, really. Now, what is the most dramatic point in the piece? Well, that occurs when we get the most forceful statement of the key of A minor. A cadence in A minor, although it's not preceded by the dominant chord, it's another chord, but it's still a very strong, indeed the strongest statement of A minor up until this point. The most dramatic point in the piece. And I should tell you that right before that happens, we have another cadence in the key of C major, similar to the one that I already played for you. But then it goes on and culminates in the most intense part of the piece. Let's listen to that moment right now. So there it is, the strongest statement in the entire piece, right on A minor. Is that it? Is all hope lost? We've experienced some kind of a tragedy, but is there any redemption? Is there any consolation whatsoever? 
Well, that's the key word, consolation. There are many points in this piece that console us. The key of C major consoles us. But we did have a tragedy, and that's what we just heard. That reality was articulated in no uncertain terms with that huge statement of A minor. But then it starts to quiet down. The key changes. We're not sure where we're going. And then it sounds like the piece is starting again. So in music, a lot of times we call that recapitulation because it's recapping what we've heard in the beginning. But then let's listen to how it ends. Do you think that very last chord was major or minor? It was major, not C major. It was E major. Now, what is E major? Well, E major happens to be the dominant of the key of A minor. Now, we know that any dominant chord represents unresolved tension. Pieces don't end on the dominant because if you end on the dominant, the piece is unresolved. You have to go home, don't you? Most of the time, yeah. But in this case, there's every indication that this piece is in the key of A minor, and yet he ends on an unresolved chord. He ends on the dominant of A minor. Now, in the 20th century, you can do that. As a matter of fact, in the 20th century, you could do anything you want. But in terms of traditional Western European music, that just doesn't happen. So he's ending on an unresolved chord, and yet somehow it sounds resolved. Why is that? Well, I think the theme, and I've said this before, is that there are consolations. All hope is not lost. We have the consolation of C major. And yes, even though we had that really strong statement in A minor that I just played for you before, it wasn't a 5-1 cadence. That's called an authentic cadence. In other words, it didn't go the dominant to the tonic. It was actually something called the subdominant, which is not as strong as a 5-1 cadence. And here we have the very last chord of the piece, the dominant or the 5 chord of A minor. This is another consolation because had he just gone 5-1 at the end, in other words, dominant to tonic and ended on an A minor chord, I would get the sense personally that all hope is lost, that we had a tragedy and there is no consolation. But in this case, there is a consolation because that dominant chord is left unresolved. It doesn't mean that there's going to be darkness. There is some light. We heard some light in the form of C major. And in terms of misery and loss, it's not a done deal. We didn't nail the coffin shut.
So despite the emotional pathos of this piece, or the emotional intensity, and despite the fact that there is loss, I think there is consolation. And consolation is always a good thing, don't you think? You know, the theologian and philosopher St. Augustine, or Augustine of Hippo, wrote a huge book called City of God, which mainly addresses the charges that the fall of Rome had to do with Christianity. That's the main thesis of the book. But there are passages where it's, it's a little bit depressing because, according to St. Augustine, life is just one disappointment after the other, and if you have happiness, those are just consolations. There's some memorable passages when he even talks about pets and that even if you have that lovable, furry little pet, at any moment he can turn on you and rip your throat out. A City of God is not the kind of book you want to read if you're in a bad mood. But if I were to meet St. Augustine, I would say, you know what, I appreciate your genius, you're a great writer, you're a great philosopher, but I have to disagree with you. I don't think that life is one big disappointment. Yes, terrible things happen in life. But when you're happy, it's not a consolation. It's the meaning of life. We're all striving to be happy. And if we are happy, that's a reason for living. I wouldn't call that a consolation. A consolation is something that makes you feel better if something terrible happens. I mean, if you lost your job or you lost a wallet or, God forbid, somebody passes away in your family, you want to be consoled. But that's not an everyday occurrence. Hopefully, it's not an everyday occurrence. Hopefully, you can look around and find things that make life worth living and give you some happiness. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's literature. Maybe it's traveling. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's that special someone you love. But whatever it is, happiness is, to me, not a consolation. It's the stuff of life. Happiness is what breathes life into life. It gives it richness and meaning. That's why when I listen to great pieces of music, regardless of the mood, I always feel good. I feel good listening to this piece because it's not all about darkness. There's no such thing as a work of art that's only about darkness. And if there is darkness in a work of art, often it's trying to teach us something. And if it's trying to teach us something, that's a good thing. That's a bright light. I mean, just think about one of the films that used Adagio for strings as part of its soundtrack so effectively. Platoon, directed by Oliver Stone, which I was talking about before. Talk about a disturbing movie with very dark themes. And yet, at the end, there is a bright light of hope. Because at the end, despite all the loss, the film teaches us something about the human spirit. And that despite the horrors of war, there's always a chance to rebuild and to learn from past mistakes. Platoon, by the way, is my second favorite war film. My first favorite is Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. An absolute masterpiece, despite the fact that Francis Ford Coppola was struggling on how to end the film. Well, I could talk about movies all day, but for now, let's leave it until the next episode. And I hope you tune in, because one thing about Dr. Music, it just gets better and better. <laughs>